and welcome to Geeks with S.H.I.E.L.D., your home for all things good and nerdy in this The Darkest Timeline. I'm Lord Commander Ulrich, and with me as always... His S.H.I.E.L.D. brother, Axel Wright. How's it going today, Axel? You know, it's been a pretty good day. I'm now two weeks into my new job, and... I'm so happy to be back at work doing what I, you know, went to school for, being an engineer. Yay. Uh, I love my job, but I am tired. I am just tired. Yeah, that could also be age. How was your day? Pretty good. It's hot as balls and just not Wookiee-friendly weather anymore. All right, well, before we get into our episode proper, you care to do the Patreon sound off? I will, because these people make this possible. They are Pam Galley, Marky, Orion McCann, Chris Chipman, River Galley, Krug, and Elmquest, Reed D, and Stephen R. Martinez. Now, if you'd like to join that illustrious legion, just head on over to patreon.com forward slash geeks with shields. It only costs you 25 cents an episode, and it goes a long way towards covering this podcast expenses, which I assure you are multiple and looming. So today we're returning an old concept that we have done a number of times that we really love. It's called Gone But Not Forgotten, where really we just talk about whatever thing we like and feel like doesn't get enough attention, or at least hasn't got enough attention recently. And we have a guest with us today. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Uh, hi, my name's uh, Bob Chipman. Uh, I was uh, at a time uh, known as uh, Movie Bob Online. That's now more the name of the productions. Uh, I'm uh, the weekly film critic at escapismagazine.com. Formerly of uh, Geek.com, Screw Attack, Freelance Work, MovieBobCentral.com, several other places. Creator of the Game Overthinker in Bob We Trust and uh, really that good as well. And brother of Chris Chipman, who's been a friend of the podcast and has shown up multiple times. And you guys have uh, the, the Chipman's Brother Tangent together, right? Yes, brother of Chris Chipman, uh, creator of the uh, Chipman Brothers Tangent. Uh, great guy. Go to his uh, Patreon, uh, Chippa. The, uh, the chipper made this. He is a great guy and has uh, many good things going on. This is all true. Yeah, so we're going to get right into it, I think. Now, I usually like to give the, the guest first crack at a you know topic. So if you would like to. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, so we're talking about uh, things that are uh, you know forgotten things this, this week, right? Yes. Well, yes. things that you think don't get enough attention. Don't get enough attention. So, you know, things that have been kind of overlooked, and uh, I've been uh, doing a lot of arcade gaming lately because that's a thing you can do when you're single and uh, that are open late. You know, there's not a lot of, you know, like old-school arcade stuff left out in the wild now that's like... Which, with the hipster resurgence, how are they not saving classic arcade cabinets? Well, they are, but, uh, you know, the thing of it is is that there's there's a zone of stuff that got saved and a zone of stuff that really didn't. That's it, true enough. You know, in my in my city, we have a place called Space Bar. It's just yeah. a bar that's under this building, filled mm. with arcade machines and you know booze. And once mm. one day per year, they make all the machines free, like on the the anniversary they opened. And it's one of my favorite places to go and keep the high score and joust. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, which is which is good. I mean, like I, I enjoy, it. and it's not like I I want to be there. I don't have anything against you know like the the golden age of arcade. You know, the stuff that's classic is classic for a reason. You know, like I mean, you know, the your Pac Man, your Space Invaders, Joust, the the ones that people know. Uh, but what has kind of gotten lost of it is a lot of it is that arcades used to have a really fast turnover for stuff that would come out because they had to keep it fresh and new so that people would come in. And, you know, oh, hey, that looks different and new and try it out just to keep it uh, going. 
because you know they didn't think anyone would be still playing these things decades from now. This was cheap entertainment, so you would see this really weird, unusual stuff with you know strange graphics, new ideas, new play control. That's why when you you look online and you find these main files of just strange, unusual, weird, thrown together quickly stuff from Japan or wherever. There's a lot of lost arcade game stuff out there, especially from when it started to get really saturated. And, you know, if arcade games have like a silver age, the uh, the 8 and 16-bit era when there was so much stuff getting put out and a lot of it very unusual, different idea stuff that I'm always finding, you know, stuff that like, wow, I, I never heard of this or I only remember seeing this once. And what I miss is being able to go into a place and see just some kind of, you know, weird thing that you're probably only ever going to see once. And, you know, now, you know, it's like, yeah, places will go. And it's like, yeah, hey, come see our barcade. You can see some cool retro games. And it's like, okay, and I'll go in and it'll be, you know, the same 12 games that every place has. You know, it's like, okay, hey, here's Donkey Kong, Space Invaders, Q-Bert, Burger Time. You know, maybe if you're lucky, you know, they'll have uh, Galaga and uh, the same things. And it's unfortunate that, you know, like, when's the last time I went into a place and saw, like, a bad dude's machine? Not often. You know, when's the last time that you go in and see, like, uh, like you'll know, almost everyone will have, like, a Street Fighter cabinet. You know, how often do you see, like, a Street Fighter 3 or an original Street Fighter or, uh, you know, one of the, the weird knockoff games? You know, how often do you see an actual Fighter's History cabinet or a Legend of Karnov, original Karnov? Or... Yeah, I mean- uh, I mean, even in my case, one of my favorite arcade games, uh, fighting games, is Primal Rage. Which, oh, as yeah. far as those, yeah, as far as those weird fighters, that was one of the more popular ones. But still, that thing hasn't existed in any form for about twenty-five years. So you it's not in this space. Primal Rage. Yeah, yeah. You would think Primal Rage would have been rebooted like a dozen times. Yeah, for anyone who doesn't know, Primal Rage is a fighting game where you play as kaiju, your yeah, yeah. dinosaurs and giant monkeys and. Yeah, it's it's bizarre that Prim- Primal Rage that like there was Primal Rage, there was Primal Rage Two that barely came out. Right? I, thought, I thought Primal Rage Two was canceled, and then they released like Primal Rage the Avatars or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> it's a weird production. Yeah, like I mean, like they, I think they made cabinets of Primal Rage Two, but didn't distribute them. So like they're like a boutique item or something. And there was like uh, before Primal Rage, there was like one other dinosaur fighting game that was like done very much on the cheap that's like super like prehistoric champion or something that's like very rare that's that's god awful but uh you know but like this is you'd think that this would that there would be like a dozen versions of this idea it seems like oh yeah it's like street fighter but with dinosaur you'd think that would be a million selling game and not you know you know it's funny this conversation i it suddenly makes me think of so it makes me think of two things one when i was young my grandfather you know worked he worked at Qualcomm, so he had to go to other countries a lot. And he'd come back from Japan, and he'd bring me these cartridges for my handheld games that were, like, demo discs, except demo discs didn't exist yet because this was before that. But, I, you know, I'd plug it into, like, my Game Boy. It'd have, like, a 100 games, one game that was kind of a full game, and then a bunch of things that were just weird and off the wall, and I don't even remember half of it. But that, that concept of, like, that kind of freeform weirdness yeah, it also makes me think of the whole ET on uh, was it Atari, right? Yeah. Where <laughs> the game well, console. 
Yeah, but it makes you think of the idea that, you know, that thing was so rare for a while because, you know, they tossed him that even though it's like universally agreed to be a bad game, it still would go for a whole lot online. So that makes me think with these arcade machines, probably the ones that got turned over and flipped, like regardless of quality, probably could go for a lot online, you know? Some of them do, like the, the boards do. And uh, it's actually, it's a very controversial thing now with, uh, with, art, with things that are like arcade collectors is that not all of these boards can be, because of the way that they were programmed, a lot of them, even though these are digital project products, they predate being like programmed in a free-floating digital-only space. Like the, their, their programming actually relies on a partially mechanical element to the boards where they're, they need like electronic pieces to actually be moving to make the connections, to make the game parts work. So they're very rare items, and a lot of people who have them, you know, there are these games that have never, you know, that have only ever been played once or twice that have never actually been, like, picked up and dumped online to be put into the main libraries because the guys who have them are holding on to them as collector's items, and every once in a while, there will be, like, a heist. like A an heist? A heist, yeah, where someone like a, will like a real heist. Yeah, where where someone will steal these, will will like you know go into where these guys have them on like tours or something where they're like showing off in museums, and someone will like basically download it in you know with like a magnet or something, and then it'll show up on like the forums somewhere and say it's like, hey, we we downloaded one of like these famous lost games, and suddenly it'll be like this moral conundrum of okay, are we going to download this and save it to our drives for in the interest of preservation, knowing that this person, once this is downloaded, this thing that they had that was worth like a couple million dollars to them is now not worth that because it's no longer a one-of-a-kind thing. Somebody That's- who is smarter than me, make that a script. Well, actually, I was about to say, I think I've seen that movie, or at least I feel like I've seen a movie with a premise very similar to that that struck me as uh, a bunch of old dudes who didn't actually get what they were talking about. I can't think of what it is right now, but it's, you're, you're bringing up a conversation. I think it's interesting. The, the value of weight discussion comparison of the things value as like a piece of history versus the things value as like, so other people can experience it, I yeah. guess. And yeah. I'm not sure if I have an answer to that. I think I lean towards the preservation of the thing more than the value of the physical thing, because that's, you know, that's a money kind of discussion. And that's anyway, but I'm not saying that I'm right or wrong. I'm just saying, I think it's where I lean on that, you know? Yeah. I think in, in the case of this, it was the fact that like, so far it's not like someone's been like, like it's not like it's been like in, uh, in someone's like garage running. It's like, this was someone who was preserving it. They were preserving it. And, you know, it was being preserved in a way that they could take it to, you know, conventions and their livelihood was charging for it to be shown and played. And now it's online for free. See, now you got me thinking about the ethics and morals of it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Like I said, that could be a good movie or even a series or documentary at least. Somebody get on yeah, that's like if CSI Cyber had lasted more than two seasons, that would have been like an episode of that. Oh, yeah, that was a thing. <laughs> except some, except like that and Scorpion were both on for like a, like a season. Uh, before, that was also a thing. Holy hell. <laughs> before someone realized that those were uh, – that, that, that it's really hard to make any of that actually exciting. Yeah. yeah. Well, as <laughs> – 
and they tried so do you actually was I the only person that watched these? I remember they were on. I think I watched Scorpion once because I was flipping channels like, oh, that sounds interesting. And then I watched it going, oh, no, nah, it's not. I never the watched videos burned on CSI. I watched a little bit of the Cyber CSI, and I remember getting really mad at it. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't they, remember before. They, they blew the, uh, like, Scorpio, they, it was either, was it Scorpion or Scorpio? I think they, they went all the way and just called it Scorpion. In, that in the sounds yeah. like it was, but I don't have much brain space reserved my, for failed TV shows like that. My my recollection for Scorpion was that they were only like five episodes into the first season before they got so desperate to try to make computer hacking and data transfers exciting that they got to an episode where they had to like transfer data from one because every episode eventually breaks down to we need to get the piece of information of code from the one machine to the other machine which is the least exciting thing ever because like no one thought this isn't like the, the sandra bullock was the net right uh i think so oh god i'm so old um <laughs> <laughs> well no i'm just not a fan of sandra like, yeah, 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 1995. Yeah, I did, I yeah, did see yeah. that. Well, no, but because, like, the, if you go back and watch it, like, that movie, a lot of that movie is very pounding music, watching progress bars fill up. Yeah, that was <laughs> in the 90s. That, that sounds about right. Because the time that was new. Like, the, the, the go to example of that is, uh, well, not of that specifically, but of, like, I bring up a movie like that. I bring up war games to people, and I right, get right. books. I'm like, not even an unknown movie. That was popular. What are you doing? Yeah. Well, uh, well, also, war games had progress bars filling up before progress bars filling up was a thing. Like, they hadn't figured out how to program computers to register that they were almost done in like bar form yet like that that was outside the realm of graphical representation so so when when we could actually do that that was a big deal and the net was very excited to show that off but so like by the time I ask if there's a specific like arcade that you've been or, or like arcade cabinet that you've seen recently that sticks out in, in this concept Oh shoot! Yeah, I got way off track. I'm sorry. Don't worry. <laughs> that, that happens all the time. I, uh, I, you know, there's a uh, here in Massachusetts. We have franchise called uh, King's Bowling, that uh, is bowling a bowling alley slash bar that also has arcade stuff in it. And I happened to uh, to go in, and they they advertise that they have uh, retro arcade games. They have the same ones that everyone else has, but they at least all, one of them always has like something. You know, that's like uh, one of like the SNK cabinets that had like the four or five games built into it, and one of them had uh, like a, like Shadow Warriors randomly stuck in the collection. I was like, wow, this this is like, and it's not even like that. This is one of the games that like they later like retrofitted into a Ninja Gaiden sequel on one of the handhelds. Yes, I remember playing that <laughs> yeah, the arcade version of that, which is not even like. A super like terrific game, but I was like, "Wow, this this is like something to play." And I just when I played almost all the way through it, you know, because I was just like, "When is the next time I'm going to get to go through this? This is cool." And sometimes I go up to the uh, the fun spot in uh, New Hampshire, the, the the American Arcade Museum, also known as now, you know, which yeah. became a hub of this stuff almost exclusively because the people who owned it for the longest time just never wanted to buy new machines and just kept fixing the ones that they had 
and ended up with a really good collection of, you know, really old semi-obscure machines because they never wanted to throw anything away. Sounds about right. You know, I think you'll be able to tell me how far off base I am because I think you have more of a general internet pres- like knowledge than I do. But I mm-hmm. feel like, and this isn't like necessarily a good thing or a bad thing, I'm just pointing out that because we live in the age where the internet has quote-unquote connected us all, and what that really means is it's allowed us to connect with our individual niches no matter how small they are because distance is no longer yeah. a thing. It means that anyone can collect like anything that they want and get together with other collectors for the thing. So it feels like the idea of like hard to find items inherently is no longer as much a thing as it was in an era before you could just order, you could just type in the name of the thing, find it in the other side of the planet and have it shipped to you the next day, you know? Well, it, it can, the thing is now it's less, I think that hard to find also used to be a, a synonym for hard to remember. Yeah. Mm. Whereas now, you know, if you remember like one thing, someone else remembers the one thing or like, I, I can't remember the last time that I spent more than like, I don't even have a frame of reference anymore for the last time that I thought for more than like five minutes about something of what was that movie with that guy? Like that used to be a thing all the time of uh, that. I just have a vague idea of a memory of something in my head of, was that a thing that existed? And then like, I wouldn't think about it anymore. Cause I'd be like, well, I, maybe that was a dream or something. You know, these things would like run together in people's heads. And I remember the first, like, I mean, I'm, I don't know how old everyone is here, but I mean, I'm, I'm uh, approaching 40. I'm uh, thir- 38 years old. And, uh, I remember the the very early days of the internet when it was an absolute free-for-all of everyone discovering that things that they were not sure existed existed. Like for two solid years, the internet was, I can't believe that existed, or I yeah. told you so. Was so like, you know, yeah. we're old enough to also remember that. You got some years on us, but yeah, I like I'm old enough that you know I used a corded telephone until I was in high school. So. Right, right. Yeah. Now I'm still kind of existing in that stage. Could be stubbornness, could be whatever, but I'm still finding things like, oh, okay, that was real, or oh, that's what it was, and I'm still enjoying that discovery, which might be why I'm not looking up some of these fever dreams. I still want that uh, experience of finding that thing I didn't know was real until. I just stumbled upon it somewhere. Yeah, I think the only context that happens like regularly for people now is when it's actual like recovered memories in people's lives. Oh yeah, there's a couple of those that drift like old commercials that resurface. Like, oh yeah, that was a thing. Yeah, and the nineties oh, were yeah. weird. Well, yeah. as a as a segue, and it's not a very mm-hmm. good one because I said segue, but like an <laughs> example of that for me is I'm sure that I know that Ulrich, like me, had a uh, a milk crate full of VHSs when Mm. we were growing up and mine was mostly Godzilla films, (laughs) most of which I didn't know the name of. I just knew the monster he fought. So, you know, as I got older, I always kept my love of Godzilla, but I didn't really like go back and rewatch those things. So I have relatively recently gone back and started rewatching. So the last night I rewatched for the first time, about 15 years, the movie with my favorite Godzilla monster in it. So Godzilla versus Biolanti. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah and that movie i 
I don't know. I have no idea if the movie itself is any good. I know that it's hilarious, that Biolanti is awesome, that the like American spies are hilariously stereotyped. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Ulrich, have you seen it? I'm, I'm assuming Bob has. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, we talked about this one in the Godzilla episode. I haven't seen it recently. I'm still catching up on some of my old Godzilla movies, and some of them have not necessarily, are not as good as I remember, but they are fun in a whole new way as an adult. Well, that's what I mean. Cause like when I went back and rewatched Godzilla versus Megalon, I was like, this is dumb, but I love every minute of this. Yeah. <laughs> as <laughs> Where, a kid, you're just like, yeah, Godzilla, punch him in the face. That's, that's all you really <laughs> care about. Now you're an adult and it's like, wow, the physical comedy in this is incredible. Yeah. The, 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 Late eight, the mid eighties of God of the God the the early like Godzilla resurgence stuff is bizarre. Yeah, especially because every time humans are on screen in this movie of Godzilla versus Biolanti specifically, they're talking about using Godzilla cells to make bacteria that eats nuclear material. So they call it anti-nuclear like eating bacteria, and it's like yeah. a super weapon that the various conglomerate companies are trying to fight over, so there's this weird, like, almost Orwellian, like, the businesses are in charge of governments thing kind of going on. Yeah. You know, you've got the scientist whose daughter dies, but somehow her spirit lives in a flower, and they bring in a woman who's not connected to anyone, but she's just a psychic who can talk to plants, and I was like, and people think that King of Monsters had a weird human story? Yeah. <laughs> Stuff you miss as, an, as a kid that comes to you and as an adult, and you're like, wow, this was uh, crazy. Yeah, and the ghost girl is Steven Seagal's daughter. Really? I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, that's Steve. That's, that's a little fun. That, that's Steven Seagal's uh, Japanese daughter. And yeah, I, I will say that watching it, I definitely still feel that Violante is my favorite, not Godzilla kaiju. Like, that design, it's only in one movie, but that design is so awesome so i just had such a good time with it and but since biolante is not in any other movie i only ever know other people that are aware of biolante that are like like us that have been watching godzilla films their whole lives yeah well that one's in a weird space because they had like uh, they they made a big push to get godzilla 1985 into u.s theaters and they did they gave it a gigantic push for a godzilla movie I mean they they put it in theaters they gave it and and like an ironic ad campaign that that, that acted like Godzilla was a movie star credited as Godzilla. I love nice. that. That's awesome. If, if you've never seen it, then you can see the trailers for Godzilla 1985 because they, I mean, Japanese special effects were still what they were. They were better than they had been, but they were still what they were. So, like they got Raymond Burr back and they cut new Raymond Burr scenes in just like they had in the original. So like old, old bearded Ironsides era Raymond Burr is there. Like and it is <laughs> into the movie to say it's like the new trailers they have you know it's like you know he is one of the biggest stars in the world he is a oh, people i remember, remember this yeah yeah the, like these were real ads like it was a huge deal and then they brought it out and people were just not looking to go along with the joke you and know it, it makes me wonder and i talked about this in our king of monsters review uh we we all talked about how BS it is that it, that movie is getting a rap that it doesn't deserve because we all love it. I wondered if maybe there's an idea I have that I haven't quite put into good words yet, but being able to engage with a movie on its terms. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, well, I mean, I think that, I think that the, uh, the Godzilla this past summer, which I think was awesome. I loved it to death. I think that in some respects, I really thought that they had like great ads for it. I think that their, their ad campaign was really great. 
but I also think that like maybe they sort of oversold the self seriousness of it. Yeah, I can see that. But because uh, I mean, I thought that they were cool. But like by the time I got to the actual uh, the, I mean, I was at uh, Comic Con two years ago when they had the first trailer that had uh, the two thousand one music and uh, had like uh, the or the actual score that had uh, all of the monsters in it for the first time. And I was like, like wow, this looks you know, big, but also seems to have the same kind of tone as the first one. And then as it got closer to the newer one coming out, and then finally seeing it, I was like, oh, wow, this is a lot more close to the, we're just having fun with this tone that of the originals. And, you know, I think maybe if they had like told people up front that they can come to this one and have a good time, that people, A, would have shown up to have a good time, and also people would not have come out of it going, okay, this this is kind of silly. Yeah, I've got I've got, actually got some friends who are jaded moviegoers in general who like my one buddy who's in optometry school. So yeah, it makes sense because he goes to movies very often, but he's as big a Godzilla fan as we are. And I remember telling him online, I was like, dude, it's like a it's like they made a Heisei Eric Godzilla movie, but on a on a crazy Hollywood budget. Trust me on this, go see it. That's why I don't know how anyone can like Godzilla and not like that movie. Anyway, it's it's exactly what it needs. Yeah, but I do have a question before we get off, because uh, Godzilla vs. Biollante was my my entry point. But now that I'm going back and rewatching his old movies, like right now I'm thinking my favorite Godzilla film proper, quote unquote, whatever the hell that means, is probably Godzilla vs. Destroya. But mm. I'm not sure if I like that more than I've really loved King of Monsters like a lot. So I'm just wondering like what movies come to your guys' head as far as old Godzilla canon is concerned. Well, don't toss King of Monsters in there because then I got to restructure everything. Ah, oh, that's really t- that is that is really tough. Uh, like I said before, I really love uh, Godzilla vs. Monster Zero because that was one of the ones I watched over and over and over again. Yeah, Monster Zero is really good. Uh Damn, Planet you know, X and all that fun stuff. Yeah, you know, Gator the Three-Headed Monster is really good. You know, ah, shit. Um, sorry, you can think on it. We can come back. It's just that that was like my what's the next older one that because I've seen basically every Godzilla movie, but some of them I haven't seen in like fifteen years. So I'm like, I'm just gonna go back and rewatch them. But I want to know like where I could just start from the beginning, obviously. But I'm trying to like because I don't have as much time to watch movies as I used to. So I'm just like kind of picking. Yeah. I'm curious what thought. I re I, I I feel like a I feel like Godzilla versus Mothra is probably the best one. It's probably got the best effects. It's probably got like the best human actors. It's probably got the like the the best balanced story effects wise and such. But like on the other hand, I really really like Destroy All Monsters, even though it's ridiculous. So, but it's like on the other hand, I, yeah, it's Space tough. Godzilla is awesome as a design. Yeah, yeah. I think I liked. I think Destroya stands out to me mostly because the score, like the mm. score in the movie, is so good. Mm. Anyway, <laughs> I could go on about Godzilla all day, but I think Ulrich, it's it's your turn to hit us with something. All right, I'm gonna go with one that we talked about in our Gone Too Soon buckler, Son of Zorn. I rewatched this every, uh, last week after recording that, and I am still mad this show got canceled. Mm. So, am I the only one that has seen it? So, I'm just kind of curious. Gauge the room. I liked it. I haven't seen it, so you guys go ahead. (laughs) Okay, so for those of you who missed out on it, which it's not your fault, Fox kept shifting the schedule around and hiding it and obscuring it and making it hard to find. Son of Zorn is essentially, what if He-Man moved to Orange County? Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> and hilarity ensues from there. And I go back and watching this again, like this is a really well written, funny show. And I almost want a 2019 He-Man set in this style where we just kind of, you know, maybe update and modernize He-Man a little bit and go, what would this world actually look like? But don't forget, for an audience listening who doesn't know about it, one of the key jokes is that the, the whole world, when he says modern, it's like a live-action sitcom, except for Zorn himself, who is a cart who is a He-Man, like, 1980s cartoon character. Yeah, and they kind of poke fun at the ridiculousness of the He-Man world. Yeah. Yeah, like, their 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 central gimmick is that, like, he is a, like, he's, he's from a, a small, like, it's a, like, their version of Eternia is, like, a small island nation, like, vaguely off the coast of Southern California, and he was briefly married to a woman, fathered a son who is half human, half uh, whatever his species. Yeah, right. His like animated warrior person species is. uh, And they are divorced because he is a douchebag. She is like living with a normal dude played by Tim Meadows in the suburbs. And he moves there to reconnect with his now teenage son. And uh, he is played by Will. uh, Oh, no, not Will Forte, the other guy. Yeah, I was going to pull up the cast real quick, because this has got a really good cast. See, yeah, I, I, I always forget this really, guy's name, but he's great. Yeah, I'm really curious about uh, your thoughts on this, Bob, because for me, I, I know like, I know that you're a big Masters of the Universe guy, right? Yeah. Uh, me, it, <laughs> it was one of the 80s cartoons I didn't actually latch on to that much. I liked the the version of it that was on Toonami for a while, and I watched a little bit of the old one, but mostly in, the, uh, in that time period, I was more uh, the real Ghostbusters and uh, Voltron and Teenage Mutant Turtles, like He Man, just kind of went under uh, my radar. Real I guess. quick, Jason Sudeikis is yes. the actor who plays Zorn, which I didn't realize until I actually bothered to look up the cast and like, wait, that's Jason Sudeikis? Yeah, wow, he might actually have a hidden talent as a voice actor. So I was curious as to, for someone who's a big Masters of the Universe person, like particularly how this show lands. <laughs> you know, I I think that they. Like, Master, the thing about Masters of the Universe is, is it's really easy to parody because Masters of the Universe is just the dumbest goddamn thing that anyone ever threw together. <laughs> Which, if I remember my history correctly, that's exactly what happened. They just kind of threw it together. Yeah, it is like, if you ever see it, there's, if you like, if, whether you love or, or, or are indifferent to it, there's uh, the, the show on, uh, on, on Netflix, the, the Toys That Made Us, that, uh, that, that uh, is documentaries about uh, famous like toy lines and such. I think uh, I watched the first episode about that, which was about Star Trek toys. Yeah. And uh, the one about Masters of the Universe is hysterical because it's a whole bunch of guys who were just, I mean, all of these things, they all kind of have the same backstory of these very overworked, underpaid guys who are basically working at toy companies until whatever their real job discipline is pays off, you know, getting you know, told to throw something together very fast over the weekend. And then, and then eventually it becomes this giant thing. And now this is what they're known for. And they have to like you know, struggle to remember this at conventions all the time. And, uh, cause this is their life now. And, yeah. uh, and, and these, these, like the, the guys who did Masters Universe, the vague idea was to make a male equivalent to Barbie. That was not like GI Joe because GI Joe was locked into being a soldier. That that explains 
He-Man's design. Yeah, was to make was to just make like a buff guy that was nondescript and that you could make him okay, he's an he's an astronaut, he's a, a warrior, whatever. And they kind of pivoted midway through to saying, no, he's definitely a Conan type guy, and eventually settled on, you know what, we'll just do a John Carter Conan pulp guy pastiche because Star Wars is also big, and they just kept adding on stuff to it. You know what? This can just be anything. We'll just call him He-Man because he... It, whatever. We'll just keep throwing shit on him. Sure, he can have skeletons. Sure, he can have aliens and monsters and just, just mix it all in. And it got to the point of they told them that they needed a vehicle because everything... <laughs> needed, but they couldn't have any more money to design a vehicle. So they give him an animal to ride. But not a horse because horses are for girls unless they're cowboys. Someone decided. And the only thing that they could think to fit was like a lion. And they didn't want to put him on a lion because they thought it was stupid. So they took a pre-existing tiger and said, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to take the tiger and we're going to paint him yellow and green. And this will look so dumb, they'll say no and we won't have to do it. And wow. they said, and so they presented it with it and they said, he, it's not going to fit. It's, it's a weird size because it was like a repurposed thing from a Tarzan figure. And they said, you know what, put put a saddle on it and you can sit up in the saddle. And they put it on it and they presented it to the guy in charge. Love it. Do it. And that's where Battle Cat came from. <laughs> I, I love the idea that all the various components of He-Man, the things that, like, if you think about it for more than 10 seconds, don't seem like they should fit in the same space, can be explained with uh, what toy do they have around to repurpose. So, yeah, no, if you love He-Man or know He-Man... You owe it to yourself to watch Son of Zorn because it really kind of pokes fun of that, especially how ridiculous of a world Eternia is in a constant state of warfare. Like, one of the best running jokes is that Zorn is a war criminal. It's like, how am I a war criminal? Sure, I may have killed a few children. Uh, the best joke is, how am I a war criminal? That's the one thing you can't be a criminal in. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and it's also like, even if you are only passingly familiar with He-Man, because like, I mean, it, it, they only got like a 13 episode first season, right? Yeah, it's a real short season, but it's it's really good. And I hate it because it ends on a cliffhanger. So yeah, Son of Zorn, if you like He-Man or have a passing interest in He-Man, you owe it to yourself to go on Hulu and watch this show. My hope and dream is that Hulu's going to go, hey, a bunch of people are watching this show that got canceled. Maybe we should bring it back. Maybe that'll get us some streaming dollars. Maybe I'll actually get a second season of Son of Zorn because I need that in my life. And uh, Hulu is uh, part of uh, Disney Plus now, by the way. We'll be part of the Disney Plus package. Just found that out uh, today. An another thing consumed by the elder god that is Disney. <laughs> well, Hulu was always going to be part because Disney was part owner of Hulu to begin with. But uh, now that with the Fox acquisition, Disney now, uh, I mean, Disney was going to own anyway because. Fox show, but uh, they now own pretty much all of Hulu because they uh, they what what of what the seventy five percent of Hulu that they didn't have they got when Fox became part of Disney. So so now they uh, they got that. Uh, but uh, that was one of the things that was frustrating. I think about Son of Zorn was that when I saw that coming, I thought, oh hey, this looks like a fun idea. I want I wonder if this is going to uh, last. And then I saw that it was going to be on a regular network which Fox does count as at this point. I'm old enough that I remember when Fox didn't count as a real network. <laughs> but <laughs> hey, I will, I will always hold it against Fox that they canceled Titus on me. Oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah, if, uh, 
just so you know, Bob, like I was a stand-up comedian for a while. And for me, okay. George Carlin, Christopher Titus, and Mitch Hedberg were like my idols. So Titus's show mm. is still to this day like one of my favorite sitcoms. And the fact that it basically got canceled kind of because Titus told the, the president that she was an idiot for saying that the main couple should break up is funny and also sad. <laughs> Now is 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 Chris still touring? He literally just came out with a special called Amerigeddon like last year, okay. uh, which is like his eighth special. And I really like that. Okay, let me put it this way: there is no one alive who will replace George Carlin. There just isn't, yeah. right? But yeah. when it comes to how he observes things and where he sits, I hate to use this term, but politically, yeah, Titus reminds me of him because Titus sits in this kind of independent space where, like, he has very liberal ideas about like progressivism and whatnot, but he also has very like, you know, don't be a wussy, be a man kind of ideas. It reminds me of Carlin's old bits about like, you know, swimming in the, you know, shit river and yeah. getting our immune system. So just saying, if you get a chance, Amerigeddon, it's on um, like Amazon Prime or something like that. It was pretty good. It's not as good as like Love is Evil or Norman Rockwell is Bleeding, which are his like opuses, but the guy's still touring he has a regular podcast anyway yeah he's, he's great <laughs> well good on, good on him yeah because it's like i i am unfortunately i don't get to uh i don't get out to comedy clubs and i don't uh, get out to just uh seeing specials or uh hearing stuff as much as i used to but uh any time that i that i saw him uh do it he was uh he, re he really was one of the better guys of his of his era and it uh, i mean he did get the show and they gave him about three seasons out of that, right? Yeah, he got three seasons. And literally, uh, in um, Neverlution, he tells a story that he the he was in a he was his show was doing really well. He was in this board meeting, and the president was like, "Here's what we want: we want Aaron and Titus to break up, cheat on each other, and before they get back together." Which, first of all, they already did in episode five, season one. So, but the Titus apparently told her that's stupid. You're an idiot, and we're not going to do that. So then they proceeded to stick the show in the dead zone and just mm. killed it by, you know, inches. <laughs> yeah. That's and, and Titus, you know, he fits in that angry comedy, which, okay, there's a lot of bad there yeah. <laughs> nowadays, but, but he's uh, one of the better guys to do it. You know? Yeah. But I mean, he's not doing uh He, I mean, he, he's not doing Rogan's material and he's not yeah. doing, uh, you know, he, he's certain, I mean, like right now, I mean, uh, now, granted, I haven't seen like the most recent, the most recent special, but uh, I mean, like he wouldn't—he certainly wouldn't be falling into like uh, even before he got in trouble, like Louis territory. Uh, so, oh man, Louis yeah. K. Oh, I, I'm gonna skip that. Oh, <laughs> avoid, avoid, avoid. <laughs> Don't want to spend my weekend blocking people. Anyway, point is, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I still yeah. love Christopher Titus. I, I, he is one of the better comedians currently working. Anyway, let's move on to uh, another topic that yeah, at least you have for us, Bob. Yeah, well, you know, what I was going to say about the Son of Zorn being on Fox was when I heard it was going to be on a regular network, I thought, oh, you know what? Now this is too unusual, and this is the sort of thing that needs to get one half of a normal season under its belt, and then you know get people familiar with the concept, get a normal audience familiar with the concept, and an audience that's really into the joke familiar with it, and then get deep into it and get weird and interesting and unusual and let it ride sort of like Third Rock from the Sun did, where, you know, which, looking back, not like a wonderful show, I don't think. Like, uh, I, I still I've, adore it, but I adore most things John Lithgow does. Oh, he, John Lithgow carries the show. I will say this as medium. Rewatched it. It's still good, but it is not as good as it was the first time I watched it. Right. I mean, like, I'm not, I'm not disrespecting it. It's, 
what I would mean about like thir the third rock from the sun comparison is that the first half of like the first season of that is very much okay. Here's every other slightly unusual people insert sitcom, and then once they knew that they had people hooked, they went much more into the okay. Let's get sci-fi weird with this because we know that we've got the audience on board, and that's when they went really big into Big Giant Head, and they did more jokes with Jane Curtin, and they started to have Shatner on back when that was an okay thing to do, and uh, you know, and and it got more interesting, and they did more with it, and they really let uh, Lithgow really play not just you know, hey, it's John Lithgow, but he's using wrong words and stuff. He was allowed to get really weird with it, and uh, and going that I think Son of Zorn could really have gone in that direction it was getting there towards the uh the the end of what turned out to be it's the end of the show and unfortunately being on a regular network i knew oh that's not going to get the chance now in in this climate if that had been an adult swim show that would still be on because you don't have to get great ratings to be on adult swim and you can get time to grow and i remember i have this vivid fever dream of a show on adult swim called perfect hair forever yes you guys remember that yes yeah, to me, that was like my experience with, I mean, I guess my first experience with surrealism and animation was probably Ren Stimpy, but like something about Perfect Hairs Forever's complete, let's just throw this like at the audience, uh, an audience that obviously knows what anime is and, and see how they react. <laughs> which, which at the time was just them doing a piss take, you know, was, was them just yeah. like, you know what, let's just, they, they were just annoyed with having anime on. Because that for a while they were required to have uh, anime running on the Adult Swim block because it was the thing that was bringing in ratings, and they just they I forget what the show was, but like the people running the Adult Swim block just resented the presence of it. And I they think it was uh, Dragon Ball Z because I remember they made a big deal. It's like Dragon Ball Z uncut. Well, no, all would, my friends going, what the fuck does that mean? I would bet personally that it was probably Fully Cooly because while I love Fully Cooly, there's only six episodes of it, and they had that yeah. playing on Adult Swim on basically a loop for years. Yeah, and it, and it was very and there and there was a lot of the because of the Adult Swim thing they really sort of required them to engage with the online fan base and the two fan bases of the we're here for the anime fan base and the we're here for Stoner cartoons fan base just could not stand each other tracks yeah and uh and so it was just a mess but and they did perfect hair forever as a parody but like my memory of adult swim when it first turned up on cartoon network back in the you know the the early wilderness days of cartoon network when this was just where turner was going to dump all of their animated stuff to just have a whole animation network because they just acquired the hanna-barbera catalog and what was this was back when it was run by Ghost Planet Industries, which turned into Adult Swim and is still down in Georgia. And it was just this ragtag bunch of, you know, Gen X animation nerds, um, you know, originating with a lot of it around uh, C. Martin Croker, who I believe passed on recently. Did they call it Ghost Planet because because uh, Space Ghost Coast to Coast was like one of the first shows they had? Yeah, that was that was the that was the origin of it. Okay, just making sure, because that was one of those shows that when I was younger, I didn't appreciate at all, and now I'm like, this is pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah. It was Ghost, Ghost Planet, and then to William Street, and then uh, into all of that, and it was uh, it, it's it sprung up around people like Andy Merrill and C. Martin Croker, who who is uh, I, I believe uh, Croker has passed on. He was the voice of Zorak. Oh, uh, I think I remember saying yeah, I remember news about that. that. Yeah, yeah, he was uh, an old school animation uh, geek, just just new 
all kind of, like just the guy had been in the industry forever. And uh, these were just guys who just wanted to take old Hanna-Barbera cartoons and rearrange them and put new voices on them. And this stuff was such weird, surreal pastiches of what is net. Like they were doing Team Four Star before Team Four Star. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> and it was just, you know, rearrange. And like they, they did Space Ghost Coast to Coast, which was just taking a couple frames of animation from Space from Space Ghost, which was a not great 70s animated like Star Trek, but with superheroes show and turning it into a talk show that was basically improv And then they animated the, the stick figure animation to the voices later where they would interview celebrities in character as these weird, annoying cartoons. And the interviews would, would be incredibly bizarre because they would like deliberately piss off the guests who had no, they were just like in a, a recording booth having no real idea what was going on. It's like a proto Eric Andre show. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was early that, and you can, I think most of these are online now and there are a lot, I'm, a lot of it is like a, you know, there are celebrities that don't uh, necessarily track now. Like thankfully Joel Hodgson is famous again. So, uh, or never stopped being, if you're a huge nerd and uh, like they had him on there and they said, Hey Joel, I have an idea. Let's riff a movie. And they just, started randomly playing like a clip of Ultraman and Joel is sitting there, you know, without materials, you know, like, Oh yeah, there's, there's a thing. It, it looks, it looks fake. Oh, and it, it's, it's the most uncomfortable thing. And yet somehow very funny. Cause of course you ask the, like the most well-known <laughs> movie riffer basically in existence, but he hasn't, he doesn't know that's what he's going to do. It's the, it's you're asking a comedian in an elevator for, to tell a joke, right? That happened to me recently. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Hey, be funny. <laughs> or they, like they had Metallica on and just uh, like they, they had Space Ghost like uh, fuck off and uh, they just had Zorak ostensibly the leader of the band just sit there and ask them random non-music questions. <laughs> I haven't seen that one. I need to see that one. <laughs> just, sitting, just sitting there in uncomfortable silence just like, hey guys, eat, do you have any gum? Oh, that's okay. That, that, that sentence just like struck yeah, I remember that now. <laughs> it's 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 very strange stuff, but it's and it's not quite stoner humor, not quite surreal humor, but it's it's like getting it's just odd. And I remember that was kind of Adult Swim, at least for the original program. There was there wasn't anything I had experienced that fit this same kind of like I remember watching C Lab right for the first time and having this thought of like okay, this is obviously kind of like a Johnny Quest thing going on, but they're like very purposely dry. They have these weird pauses, but they make everything just come off like overtly awkward, but it's also weird and kind of fun. I don't know. It's like, it's hard to explain. I think it was, it maybe hit the zenith of that with, uh, with Aqua Teen, which I liked some of, but it did that thing where it would go, to really weird places sometimes. Well, you, you gotta be in the right, uh, let's call it headspace. Yeah, well, it's like, today it's easy, it, it's fairly easy to describe because you need to tell people that it's the it's the really laid back Midwest, like uh, Southern slash Midwestern version of Archer humor. Because, yeah. because pretty much everyone who wrote and animated on those shows became the Archer team. And that's why all of those shows have that same rhythm yeah, it's That's, funny. I know it's only because of one actor, but I, every time I think of Archer, I think of home movies, and I adore yeah. home movies. So it's it's uh, well, it's John Benjamin. It's also a lot of background voice actors and most of the animation 
and production and sound team filtered out from that into Frisky Dingo and then off into, uh, well, circling through home movies, then back onto Adult Swim. It, it was like a circular thing of the evolution of people who were converged when home movies collided with Adult Swim, merged together, became Frisky Dingo, and then spread out and became Bob Burr's Archer and, and what and is now like the 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 constellation of non-Simpsons, non-Seth MacFarlane animation on television. Yeah, I remember uh, that was... I mean, for me, oddly enough, that was like the big selling point for Archer and Bob's Burgers was just, I get to hear Coach McGurk as other yeah. things. And, and luckily enough, both those shows turned out to be great, but... Yeah. He he is he's really he is really good. He's a great comedian. Apparently, a really good guy from all things that I've heard. Yeah. What were the other? Because like I admit that when at the time when home movies was at this, I was definitely in that anime camp. Like I turned in mostly for Cowboy Bebop, and now I'm a lot more freeform, right, with like my my things. But I feel like there's uh, at least an obvious one we're missing. I know that for a long time, that's also where I'd go to watch Futurama because they had the, the Family Guy Futurama back to back to start. I came for the Futurama Family Guy and then kind of stayed for some of the weirder, more out there stuff. But my favorite all-time OG uh, Adult Swim show is uh, Harvey Birdman. Attorney at law. Can you yeah. believe that they just released like another episode like 10 years later, a couple yeah. months ago? I haven't seen this. The idea is he is a an attorney is that he's a, a forgotten 1970s superhero who had bird wings, and he uh, is now an attorney who represents Hanna Barbera cartoon. The only episodes I remember actually seeing, I remember seeing the one with the Jetsons. That was, uh, and I remember, yeah, I remember seeing the one with Scooby Doo. But those are the only ones that stick out in my brain. Yeah, the Scooby one was what was was why remember they. they Shaggy and Scooby arrested on possession, but because they were still like operating under regular Cartoon Network rules, they could only do innuendo yes. about about what about what was going on. So why don't we uh, move on? Let's, if come, you don't let, let's cut to an ad read then, because ad reads make us happy, right? Yeah. All right, go ahead, Ulrich. All right, this week's episode is brought to you by the Talk Buster Podcast. Every episode, Chris Chipman and a guest reminisce about their times working for Blockbuster. Even if you've never worked for Blockbuster, I guarantee you'll find the stories both hilarious and relatable. Listen to the Talkbuster podcast on all of your favorite platforms. Now, back to topic. I have one with uh, talking about Titus, because I'll take any excuse to talk about Titus. So, Ulrich, why don't you give us one last one move to suggestion? I'm going to keep up my theme of talking about strange shows that are probably underappreciated and we're on the wrong network. Better off Ted. Oh, yeah. Never watched it when it was on the air, but caught because I'd heard so much goodness about it. Better off Ted. Oh. Okay, I never saw season two. I watched all of season one. I gotta go back and watch season two then. Yeah, uh, there's a couple little sitcom things I'm not a fan of. The will they, won't they, the love triangle, all that nonsense. That's dumb. What you're here for is the, I'll almost describe it as Harmon-esque humor of the show, which is it follows our main guy, Ted, who works in an R&D for a company that, well... This feels like some of the company that Hank Scorpio from The Simpsons owns. I believe that. Like, the first episode is, all right, we have a client that wants to weaponize pumpkins. Why do they want to weaponize pumpkins? Because they have a lot of them and they want another purpose for them. Okay. 
And that's the humor of the show. It's just a little bit of the office with, you know, off, don't boy, don't working in offices suck, mixed with this weird evil corporation they all work for. And they kind of poke around like, are we the bad guys? Well, also, in my opinion, Better Off Ted had some of, had one of the snappiest scripts. Like the dialogue is so snappy in like a you know joke per second kind. Of, yeah, like the only I show I can think of this is Harmon esque. Yeah, like the only show I can think of with snappier dialogue is like maybe the marvelous Miss Maisel. The second episode is about making a meat blob that exists without cows, and that one's kind of creepy because well, now that's a real thing we're quickly hurtling. Oh, in all fairness, though, that's pretty awesome because they'll let us have, you know, vegetarian oh, yeah. essentially. No, but that's a great thing, but the meat blob is very disturbing. You're right about that. And the corporate, you know, intro jokes are equally disturbing because it feels like it's a real company because the whole setup there is, hey, we accidentally, we, we, we froze an employee. How do we keep from getting sued? Yeah, that, that's the kind of thing that makes me think of aperture science, so... Yeah, yeah. well, that's kind of this whole, and I say we didn't deserve this show, is because it's got this really weird satirical humor that works really well now when companies are like, yeah, we're evil, but what are you going to do about it? And that was this show's whole premise. Was, did, you ever, did you ever see it, Bob? Uh, better off, Ted, I remember seeing the first few of it, and I don't think I ever saw the rest, but uh, everyone told me it was very good. It is. Again, if you like that kind of weird, dry, satirical humor. Another episode, they invent a mac and cheese thing that causes people to go blind. And, you know, Ted Karras is like, well, maybe it's not meant to be mac and cheese. And his boss goes, no, they've already decided on the logo. (laughs) Sounds about right. That I remember thinking that the experience was a lot like Chuck. I liked it more than Chuck, but it felt a lot like Chuck. And I mean, that's why I didn't mind. Is it kind of blended together when it was on TV in my mind with Chuck, which I also wasn't really interested in. And I have mixed feelings about Chuck overall. But again, I feel like this show may have been a bit too early because now the whole premise of this show is you work for an evil corporation. Ha ha, aren't corporations evil? And now we exist in a world of corporations are just blatantly saying, yeah, we're evil. What are you going to do about it? Makes sense. We come back to the sadness of the real world, Ulrich. What are you doing to us? <laughs> Okay, well, I don't know. I don't know. All the jokes don't really work. Again, it's a lot of fun. It's hilarious. Again, it feels kind of like there's a little bit of Archer in there with the mad scienciness. There's a little bit of The Office in there. There's a little bit of community in there. It's a little bit of a grab bag of everything, and that might have been why it never caught on is it was on ABC, and it had a lot of different ideas going on, and it was a very well-written, strong satire. I'm not sure people appreciate satire anymore. I mean, there is a really great running gag with the boss above being always referred to as them, like they're these eldritch beings. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's right, because they reminded me of, like, um, what's the name of the law firm in Buffy? Uh, Wolfram and Hart. Yeah, Wolfram and Hart. That's the vibe I always got from that joke. Well, it is very much, you know, going, Ted, they're very displeased with you. Oh, I'm sorry. Can I talk to you? No, they don't, they don't want to talk to you when you're like this. You never see them, and they're always referred to as them, which, again, I feel like this is a company that's owned by Hank Scorpio. <laughs> and I would I would watch that spinoff. Yeah. All right. Well, you can go watch it on Hulu, but I think it's about time that we move into our suggestions of the week, which, considering this is a government forgotten, it's basically the same kind of thing, except now we're like, the things we've been talking about are just like, hey, these are things we like that, uh, you know, we don't have to get enough attention. Now these are things like, yeah, we, we you should go watch 
or engage with these things. So, uh, Ulrich, you want to start us off? My suggestion is Super Soldiers by Jason Inman. Basically, he is writing as a veteran, comparing his experiences and knowledge of the military. Mix like he will give you this big dump of comic lore and his thoughts on this. Going now, you know, in the military, this served in the military is his description of drill sergeants. Drill sergeants are large, angry men who want to do nothing but shout insults at you. <laughs> yeah, the full metal jacket principle. <laughs> yeah, so it really is interesting to read a book from a veteran's perspective about how vets are represented in comic books. How's the, the, ones uh, how's the Captain America well? chapter? The Captain America chapter is exactly what you'd expect Captain America chapter to be. It's like Captain America isn't so much a great soldier as he is a great idea of what we should all strive to be. I like that sentence. That sentence mm. makes me feel warm. Yeah. Yeah. I said, this is a great book. I really want him to write a sequel because my boy Moon Knight only got a audible mention at the back of the book. And you all know how I feel about Moon Knight. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Ulrich desperately wants a Moon Knight movie. It's going to happen now with Blade. I get, I'm willing to bet money on it. Right, I'm guessing you buy this book on, like, Amazon or something? Yeah, on Amazon. We'll, of course, have the links for it on our Twitter. No, it's a really, really good book, especially if you're a comic book fan, because I learned a lot about, I learned about characters I've never even heard of before, uh, Gravedigger being one. Nice. Right. I don't know Gravedigger. So. I did I, but his was a really cool story. All right, well, uh, my suggestion of the week is... Everyone who's ever talked to me for long, you know, more than a day knows that I'm a huge fan of Berserk, the the manga and the anime from the 90s. And there's for people who are in the know, Berserk as a manga has a history of having these really long hiatuses where they won't release anything, so we all get really thirsty for Berserk material. So there's a handful of manga that get passed around as the, "Hey, these are like Berserk, so why don't you give them a shot while you're waiting?" So one of the ones that I checked out years ago, is called the Vinland Saga. Vinland Saga is a quote-unquote historical uh, manga in that it's meant to deal with kind like technically real people and technically real events, but animated up essentially. And so it is that same kind of berserk thing where what everyone does is technically within the realm of human capability. It's just you know amplified. Point is, it was awesome. It looks uh, drawn great, and now there is an anime adaptation out like a full-on animation uh, the first i think five episodes are available on uh, on amazon prime i just watched the the first one today i don't know if the rest of them are any good necessarily but i read like 200 chapters of the manga and that was amazing and this is gorgeous looking uh, it is one of the better uses of cg and animation that i think i've ever seen because normally that doesn't go well when it comes to uh, japanese animation but if the idea of historical anime vikings is at all interesting to you and you have access to it like an Amazon Prime, give it a shot. The the opening sequence alone is like enough to I think to get you know the the price of admission, you know, to get you in the seat. I, I don't like the the opening song so much, but the opening animation of the one of the main characters, Thor, is just this Viking fighting in this battle with all these other Viking longships on the ocean, like jumping from one ship to another, fighting these people is is a beautiful thing to look at. I may have checked that out. Anyway, Bob, you have a suggestion for us? Yeah. Uh, people who follow my stuff have probably heard this one from me several times, but uh, I am a big fan. I've always wanted to throw this out there of a, a movie from probably about a decade ago now called uh, Equilibrium. Uh, this is an action film uh, from uh, writer-director Kurt Vimmer. Uh, he uh, he wrote uh, went on to write uh, Salt 
and has uh, written and uh, directed a few things since then. But this is probably the one he's best known for. Did Ultraviolet as well with uh, Mila Jovovich. Not as successful of a uh, of a feature. Uh, this has uh, Christian Bale, Tay Diggs, Sean Bean, Angus McFadden, and uh, Emily uh, Watson. It's not exactly the movie that you'd think of with that cast. Uh, it uh, it was known as sort of a Matrix alike because it's a uh, martial arts uh, futuristic dystopia movie. This is uh, sort of a riff on uh, Brave New World. It's uh, funny but, that it's called a Matrix like in my brain. I always associate it with Minority Report, fairly or unfairly, but similar, oh, similar aesthetic. Very similar aesthetically. It uh, this is Christian This is in a uh, future where they have uh, the uh, the. It's basically Brave New World, uh, nineteen eighty four again. Um, but uh, in this version, they have uh, banned uh, feelings. They've decided that there will be no crime if they can stop everyone from feeling. So everyone is on super jacked up Prozac, and uh, all art, literature, color, whatever is uh, banned. And they have these uh, super cops uh, that uh, that are that their job is to go around and basically kick your ass if they think you're feeling anything. It's not a subtle film. No, it's an awesome film, though. Now, I have this, this concept I've played around with. I, again, I haven't put it into like full words yet, but I feel like a lot of great sci-fi is constructed by taking a single techno technology idea and building the world around it. Like Star Trek, essentially, what if faster than light travel? All right, build around it. Yeah. So, like this is you got a pill that takes away all your emotion. Now build a world around it. Yeah, and it's it's. I mean, it's it's one of those movies where the metaphor is sort of ahead of the science because if you think about it for more than five minutes, none of this really makes sense. Look, kung fu. <laughs> well, and be and well, and it, because it's got two things going on in this. They have the the uh, the pill that takes away your emotions, but they also have, for whatever reason, the people who are trying to preserve art and literature and everything. Uh, and feelings are the underground resistance, and uh, this is such a hard resistance to put down uh, that even though the government has tanks and bombs and guns and swords and everything, they've developed these super soldiers that uh, that their job is to go out and just beat people to death to to get this out so that the movie can look cool. And uh, yeah, they are. They're they're using this advanced form of uh, martial arts called they call it gun kata, which is pretty much the reason the movie exists is to do this stuff that basically looks like baton fighting but with pistols. And yep. the, the excuse for how this is supposed to work is that because they have no emotions, they're able to use uh, mathematics based on the Heisenberg uncertainty principle to always calculate in their heads to know where the opponent is at all times so they can flip around and shoot bullets while punching and getting, and it it's the dumbest thing but it looks great which and I know I know it doesn't actually matter but as someone who knows what the Heisenberg uncertainty principle is that just kind of hurts my brain to to, to hear yeah. that but it doesn't really matter for the movie yeah it really is and the thing is it, it's not they, it's not like they just say this and let it go, like the you only use 10% of your brain thing in every movie that does that. Like, they say this, and then they run, like, a computer simulation of this with, like, numbers, where they, they, they really try to sell that this could be a thing, and it's still just, like, a, a fake math explanation for guys who can do the same thing that every ninja in every movie can do. 
which is run into a room full of people and kill 12 people without getting hit. And but, it's okay. Metal Gear Solid tried to do the same thing. <laughs> right, yeah, but the thing is, is that they have, fortunately, Christian Bale as the main guy here. And this, this movie requires Christian Bale to do exactly two things, which is be in really good shape and show absolutely no visible facial expression while kicking people's ass. And he can do those two things. Like the only guy in Hollywood who could do those things better is Keanu Reeves. So, yeah, but Keanu Reeves would be charming while he's doing it. Is the thing? Oh, yeah. Okay, I'll give you that. You're totally right. Like, like, like Keanu Reeves. The thing is, Keanu Reeves in this movie, you would like, you wouldn't buy that he was the bad guy until he turns good, because you'd you'd know even when he's John Wick, you're thinking like, yeah, I can see why people would be afraid of him because he's kicking their ass, but like. I already totally buy that this guy immediately throws it all away for the dog. No, you're totally right. I mean, for me, I actually had a, a hard time enjoying Christian Bale performances until I saw The Machinist, and then I retroactively appreciate all of his past performances more. So, Yeah, he's, he is... I worry about him, because I feel like if he doesn't unclench at some point, I, I think he might like not make it to 50. Given what he does to his body, I'm not sure he's going to make it to 50. Yeah, he's he's super intense. Like, I feel like he needs to do that Daniel Day Lewis thing, where when he's not like giving these like super committed, you know, all time performances, he just f's off and goes and makes shoes. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah, like, like I get, like I completely get that. Like that's like, yep. I tell like, or like you know, when you see like pictures of Leonardo DiCaprio when he's not acting. And he gains a bunch of weight and lets his beard grow out. And you can tell he's just, you know, pigging out and dating models and just, like, living. And he's like, yep, okay, now I see. And then he comes back in and he comes in and he's like, yep, now I'm Jay Gatsby. And then he goes off and he's, like, fat four. And it's fine. <laughs> you know? I and, love that. That's well, perfect. Well, you know what? DiCaprio deserves it. And I'm really, Bale deserves it, too, if he'll ever take up the suggestion. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, Bob, thanks for coming on. This is the part of the show where we let our guests, you know, plug whatever they want to plug. Oh, wow. Uh, okay, well, um, I already said what I do up front. Uh, weekly film critic at escapesmagazine.com. My website's moviebobcentral.com. Uh, Follow me online at, uh, at the underscore moviebob on uh, Twitter. Uh, support your local firefighters. Hey, right, while, while we have you here, Bob, can I ask you, I, I hope it's not a question you get asked a lot but uh, I just got one thing while I have you here. Do you have a specific set of problems with gangs in New York? Not that I think it's like an amazing movie or anything, but I've heard you reference it a couple times, but you always have like an off reference. You never like go into, is it like one thing or does the whole movie just not kind of work? For you? Uh, you know, it's that it's, it's so close to good, but you know, they, they don't give Cameron Diaz a lot to do. It's very clearly edited to, to death. It, it should have been a series, frankly. It, the, the the characterizations don't really come together. The the whole middle part is a mess. And I really wish that like the the whole build up towards the third act turnaround was better because the the whole idea of wow, you know, we've spent all of this time building up this big battle that's gonna be between, you know, all of these specific factions and then a whole other war that we really should have seen coming just blows everything up and it doesn't matter, should really be like a more powerful kind of gotcha. And then like by the time we get there, it's like, oh, right, yeah, but I didn't actually care about all of this stuff that these guys had going on. Like I lost the plot hours ago. So 
like the the idea that that all of these armies are going to like come clash together and then meanwhile the city gets shelled and then it's a big cloud of dust and the big fight that we were supposed to be building up to is just these two idiots stabbing each other to death and nothing matters should be a real revelation and it's like all oh, right but i i didn't actually get tricked into caring so this this is just dull and i i wish i can see what it's going for and it frustrates me that it doesn't get there because it should be better okay I can buy that. Yeah, yeah it's just like points. Yeah, it's like I don't disagree with anything. I I enjoyed the movie, and I just I heard you make these references. I was just curious. So, but yeah, nothing you said is wrong. <laughs> it's the the thing is like I the thing of it is I wish it was Boardwalk Empire. Ah, see, I I totally buy that definitely. <laughs> Which is a, a a better show. It's not even about the same stuff, but like that kind of you know sprawling big cool thing. Like I hope that's there, and I hope. Uh, I hope the Irishman is is uh, is the is a return to form versus Corsese. I mean, he's had several return to form since then. But yeah, every once in a while he whiffs one. I didn't really love Silence either. All right, well, Ulrich, you want to? Uh, well, I guess before Ulrich goes in, I got to do my contractually obligated. Uh, we are whatever platform you are listening to us on. You just listen to us ramble on about stuff that we like for the last time. First of all, thank you. Second of all, we are on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play at present. According to my, my list here, we had to go off of Podbean for the time being, but it's on the list for when we have the uh, funds too. If there's any other platform that you would like to have us on because it's easier for you, let us know and we'll look into it. Well, first, again, Bob, thanks for coming on. We would love to have you back on again if you could find the time and you wanted to join us. Oh, I would love to come back on. Yeah, we know you got a real busy schedule, so we won't hold it against you if it takes a while. <laughs> I, I do, but we are trying to get back around. All right. So, yeah, go watch and listen to all the stuff Bob's put out there. Be nice to him on Twitter. <laughs> and Thanks, guys. Thank you all for listening. Be sure to like, share, subscribe, do all the stuff, because that is literally how these podcasts live or die. You like, you share, you talk about us, more people find us. Otherwise, this is just us talking into the void for almost two hours. I mean, I'm kind of fine with that because I had fun, but Ulrich has ambitions. <laughs> yeah, I, I, hope I, guys, I hope I didn't keep you guys too long. No, you're good. All right. This has been Lord Commander Ulrich and his shield brother, Axel Wright. Be sure to tune in next time, and as always, stay honorable. Indeed.